Um, hello, hello, hello. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber. I have a wonderful episode for you today with Mario Molina. Um, Mario is a representative over at POW. He is the executive director. Um, and he is uh, a very well-spoken and very thoughtful human being. Um, he answers some of my more difficult questions about Protect Our Winters, what they do, climate advocacy, use their athletes, um, and what individuals can do that's most effective to, uh, to reduce their impact on the environment. I mean, it's, uh, it's actually a really good interview. It's, uh, if I do not to toot my own horn, um, I'm actually not cause I'm not the good part in it. Mario's the good part in it, but, um, it's, uh, it's really enjoyable. So obviously check out Pro- protect our winters, uh, at protectourwinters.org uh, and see what they do. Everybody here should be a member. Everybody that listens to the show should be a member of POW um, or uh, or support them in some way or support your local organization, right? Like I think that's one of the more important things to kind of mention here as well is, uh, is the importance of supporting your just local climate change organizations, local organizations that are doing something positive for the environment. All of this stuff is really is key. Um, try not to say important 45 times and then everybody get mad at me for repeating the same word. Like I only know one word in the dictionary. Um, anyway, Mario Molina, I hope you guys enjoy the episode before we jump into the episode. As usual, we have to pay the bills, um, because there's bills now and there's people to feed and, uh, we got a lot of cool stuff coming out that requires, uh, that green stuff, that cash. Um, so we are here to promote a wonderful company called Goo Energy. Um, Goo is a new sponsor for the show. Uh, so let me tell you about them. We're going to tell you all about these wonderful Stroopwafels, which have become my new favorite form of, uh, of snackage when I'm on, on the bike. Uh, when I'm doing outdoor activities, they're 150 calories. They have 450 milligrams of amino acids, uh, caffeine, the whole bit. And they just, realistically, they taste amazing. Um, they're easy to consume i mean i don't know what easy to consume means i feel like that's a i don't even really know what easy to consume means to be honest it's it's basically like for me the biggest thing is i don't want like gross like stick to the top of your mouth type stuff but i do like solid food when i'm on rides so i guess that's what easy to consume means for me um and that's what these stroop waffles are so check them out um those are wonderful i also am a kind of strangely a really big fan of the cola um, energy gel. It's, it's kind of a crazy flavor for me to be like, Oh, this is my new, it might be my new favorite flavor of gel. Um, cola me happy, it's like be happy, but me happy. Um, anyway, check out everything that goo has to offer at gooenergy.com. You can use a promo code for 20% off, 20% off. Everybody needs some kind of nutrition and fuel and all this good stuff. Why don't you just order some and order it at a discount? Don't pay retail when you have an event coming up. Like, why Why do that? 20% off right now. Gooenergy.com. Use promo code out of bounds. Okay? Promo code out of bounds at gooenergy.com. Uh, and check out some cola. Check out, what's the other one? What's your favorite one, Ethan? Cake? Birthday cake? Birthday cake is Ethan's favorite. I tried it the other day. I did a review on it on TikTok. That's what we do now. We're TikTokers and content creator people as well as podcasters, um, and it's pretty dang good. It tastes like cake. I don't know if I want cake all the time while I'm on bike rides, but, you know, some people do. Ethan's a huge fan. He's riding his e-bike every day, fueling up with uh, with birthday cake. Um, 
once again, gooenergy.com. Promo code is out of bounds. Um, next, we have the wonderful people and another new partner at Mountain Flow Eco Wax. Mountain Flow is the shit. We talk about doing, uh, like talking about doing good things for the environment. That is the whole idea, whole synthesis behind this company and Mountain Flow. Um, I am a huge supporter of what they do. Peter is actually, Peter the founder, has actually been on the show before. Um, wonderful person has an even better mustache. I've seen very few people with as good of a mustache as Peter has, but this is not an ad read for his mustache. This is an ad read for a biodegradable 0% petroleum based, uh, bike product. Um, so the grease, which is what I'm holding in my hand right now and rubbing all through my fingers like a freak, um, is probably my favorite product of all. It's, just good like it's good it's a good grease to use it comes in a nice little metal tube fully recyclable and uh and it's just all purpose waterproof grease like this is a thing that i feel like nobody buys enough of and then they're like ah you know screw it i'll just send it whatever like i don't need grease right now and then your bike's creaking and it's disgusting and or your seat post is stuck in your seat tube and you're like oh that was a poor choice um so that's been really good they also have a bike cleaner and degreaser that's really one of my favorite things to use um when i'm cleaning my bicycle one of my favorite things to use well, like what do i sound like I sound like i'm selling product here well i am um the number one thing i think we should push here though is the lube they have an all-weather a wet lube and a dry lube all of them are great uh we've used them over at the shop um i've used them on all my bikes regardless of what type of bike um and uh, we have a video coming out on YouTube pretty soon here where we kind of run through what the differences are, how to use them, when to use what one, and, uh, and the whole bit. So be sure to, uh, to check that out when it drops. Um, we have a promo code for them as well. If you go to www.mountainflow.com, uh, you can use promo code out of bounds for 15% off your purchase. 15% off. And I believe that applies to ski stuff too. Don't tell anybody, but I know this is a bike ad, but they got a lot of stuff for bike. They also have like a full bike cleaning kit. This is a long ad. Both of these ads are long ads, but they're new sponsors. You know, people got to know about them. And honestly, they're both extremely good products. Like I'm psyched to be working with brands like this. It's, we're having a good time. We're having a good time. 15% off. Promo code out of bounds. Mountainflow.com. Check it out. Cool. Cool. Um, now we'll get into the episode. Uh, new fuck off and ride your bike stickers are on the website. New stickers in general for the collective are on the website. Support what we do. Support the show. Uh, I appreciate everybody that's been involved. Um, and then we have a new giveaway every Friday from here through the end of time pretty much. So um, check the Instagram on Fridays for giveaways throughout the whole weekend. Uh, obviously, last thing I will ask before we jump into Mario's episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It is, uh, hugely important or Spotify, whatever. Um, and if you are a YouTube listener or subscriber, I appreciate the shit out of you as well. Thank you much. Here's Mario Molina. Have a wonderful day. Mario, first of all, how are you? Uh, how's things? How's life? That's good, man. Spending the summer, uh, up in Maine. And so I am officially from away for for the summer nice is this uh do you have a place there so my wife's family's got a camp here so we've got two little kids got a three year actually almost four year old and a seven month old 
and uh, we drove out here in our van from Colorado. So that was an adventure in and of itself, pretty cruxy a whole. Um, and then, yeah, they've got a camp and it's right by the lake. So uh, nice. funny, yeah, not to derail us, but it's a funny <laughs> story to start us off. Start us off. I, there's, a, there's a mountain bike trail on the other side of the lake from where we are. And so I said, why not just put the mountain bike in the canoe and then paddle across the lake to go mountain biking, right? And it's been so hot here, just like it's been everywhere else in the country that I decided, you know, be out of, you know, be on the dock by 7 a.m. so I can be pedaling by 7.30, 7.40. And I got out on the other side, everything went, well, got the canoe out. I mean, got the mountain bike out and uh, there was this couple there and they're old timers from Maine and he he looks at me and he's like, Where where are you headed? I said, Oh, up Great Pond Mountain. He's like, Oh, I thought I just saw you get out of the canoe as he saw me get on the bike. He looked with a really confused look in his face, right? And I was like, <laughs> I I did. He's like, I I put I paddled I paddled my mouth over and he looked at me with like a really confused looking was like you from away? Yeah, that's uh, that's like Maine in a nutshell. I feel like every time I go yeah. up there, I feel like I'm being I'm being judged by somebody who just lives in the forest. Yeah, you from away? Forget I am from away. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay, well, <laughs> probably should introduce you. So tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of go from there and we'll we'll take the conversation a little further. Yeah, my name's Mario Molina. I'm the executive director for POW, Protect Our Winters. I've been uh, leading POW now for uh, four and a half years. I'm originally from Guatemala. I grew up there. I was born and raised there. I went to school in Arkansas and then grad school in North Carolina. Um, went back and actually opened the first adventure shop out of Antigua. We used to do mountain bike trips and a little bit of climbing, uh, some hiking, some volcano expeditions. And then when I went back to grad school, I went back to grad school for uh, geophysical science. So I studied you know, wetlands and systems ecology, et cetera. Um, and I lived internationally for about 10 years, spent three, four years in Australia, on and off, about five years in Ecuador, got into high altitude mountaineering there on an amateur, at, a, at an amateur level, and did a little bit of guiding while I was there, and then moved back to the U.S. in 2010, right around the time that the cap and trade bill was being negotiated and that collapsed. Um, I was really interested in getting involved in policy. I'd seen a lot of glacial recession in the Andes. That was really kind of my aha moment about how fast uh, we were losing some of these some of these uh, glaciers and how big the problem was. And I've been in climate ever since. So I've been in, you know, straddling the worlds of environment and outside or environmental action and outside for you know, uh, 20 years now. And I've been specifically working on climate change policy and education for about 12 years. And when the opportunity with POW came about, uh, I was really excited. I was working for uh, Vice President Al Gore's organization at the time. Um, I'd been there for about five years, particularly doing a lot of international work on post-Paris implementation of the, of the agreement, of the Paris Agreement. 
So I would travel to South Africa and Brazil and Europe and India, uh, Mexico, um, where else, Australia. But, uh, and I learned a lot. I didn't necessarily agree with all of the former vice president's politics or points of view, um, but I learned a lot and it was a great education in, in, in policy and some of the smartest people in the world working on this stuff. Uh, and yet it pretty much everywhere that I went to work required me wearing a suit. <laughs> and so when the opportunity with uh with pal came up i thought man it couldn't be a better fit for me uh in, in a place where i feel like i can both be amongst you know, quote unquote my people or the community that i i feel a sense of belonging to and working on what i think is an area that i can add some value to with my expertise so and that's that's how i ended up here that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, and it's been you've been in the position you're in at Powell for, since 2017. Is that right? Yes, November 2017. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what? So I guess explain to people that don't necessarily understand what what does Powell do? What is the purpose of Powell? Um, and then we can kind of take it a step further. Yeah. So Protect Our Winters was founded by Jeremy Jones, who's an elite split borders in doing trips in high mountain ranges for a very long time and when he came back from a trip uh he was really concerned about the loss of uh snow and the changing conditions in, in the high mountain ranges and wanted to activate the outdoor sports community on on the issue and at first he thought he would start working with an organization that was doing that already and realized that such a thing didn't exist so uh without any nonprofit or particular climate experience he just you know, did what he does and decided to start pow but he had enough buy-in from friends of his like chris davenport and conrad anchor and other people that uh it took off and really the what we do is we work with uh influencers whether they be athlete creatives or business leaders from the action sports community to pass and advocate for and pass bipartisan when possible uh climate policy in the united states so yeah how much and this is one of my questions i guess is how much of what you guys do at pow is giving information to the public and how much of what you do is and in that sense, educating and kind of making people aware of the problem that is climate change and how much of what you guys do is actual like work on policy and lobbying and that kind of work. Yeah, at, at the core of what we do is recruiting, training and deploying our influencers to affect decision making directly with decision makers. And so that can look like you know, lobbying, that can look like advocacy, and that can look like them educating their followers and them educating their communities uh, on on the issues. And so I would say, you know, probably 60% of what we do is advocacy, and then 20% of what we do, 20, 30% of what we do is education, and then sprinkle another, you know, 20% of stuff that we come up with. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny to see how much you guys have grown, especially over the past five years or so. Like it seems, Pow seems like this almost juggernaut, I guess, when it comes to climate change, especially on uh, on the snow side of things. Like everybody kind of knows what Pow is, and I think everybody kind of feels a sense of attachment to the brand that is Pow. Right? They feel like they're doing something good by attaching themselves to to kind of the message and kind of what goes on inside Pow. And I, 
the question I have is what what do you attribute that to? Why do you think people are so so attached to Pow as a brand? Well, first of all, thank you because that's um, that's a huge compliment, and I feel like with that. Uh, comes a, a huge sense of responsibility to the community and a huge sense of, um, you know, uh, I mean, gratitude and responsibility to the community for for that attachment to the brand. And my hope, I, my hope is that it's because we have really been very genuine about what we do um, and made sure that anything that we do we do it based on principle and so when we've grown into new sports we've always said hey we're not going to go into a new sport where we don't have a community of representatives from that sport who care passionately about this issue who are aligned with the way that we're approaching it and who are willing to lead to lead the way on it so um i think it's that connection through people that uh, we all admire and respect in the idea that they validate the you know, the, the work that we're doing and they also validate the values that we that we bring forward with it. So, um, you know, it's it's amazing to, you know, sometimes hear people refer to us as like a big organization, a, you know, a juggernaut, like it's a compliment because one of our, um, one of our sayings internally is we, we, we punch above our weight and we've been punching above our weight class for a while. Like I remember when I first joined, I was uh, employee number five or six uh, yeah, at POW. And it wasn't too much thereafter where every now and again, we'd get calls or people you know, be like, oh, I thought you guys were like a hundred people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, it's like, oh, but you guys are everywhere. But the reason this goes back to your question. So why do I think the affinity Powell is not like the 25 people that we are now working, you know, working in different hubs across the country. Like Powell is everyone that's got a sticker on their truck. Powell is all of our athletes. Powell are the brands that help us spread the message. And I think that that is the, what, what drives that affinity. It's not a, here's this organization and I, you know, and, and I, and I'm associated with it. It's we, we are Powell, right? Like, everyone that's willing to talk out, speak out on the subject, everyone that shares a post, all of our athletes, all of our corporate partners that uh, that go to lobby with us in DC, like that's what gives power. It really, it's it, like the sense of scale. It's our ability to work with you all. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's, to me, that's probably the most beneficial thing about having a core group of athletes and influencers and people that kind of connect with the community, right? Because you can have X amount of employees, right? It can be 25 actual employees at POW, but so many people talk about it and connect themselves to it. And on the athlete front that everywhere you go, more than likely your favorite athlete has something to do with the organization as a whole, which I think is, is a credit to you guys and a credit to Jeremy and a, a credit to the whole team really where everybody has somebody that they personally connect to that's advocating for the same thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what I've been so impressed by over the years with our ambassadors, you know, is just how committed, intelligent they are uh, and how hungry they are to be well versed on the subject. And so, you know, when you think of Tommy, for example, you think of Tommy Caldwell, uh, 
in you, know, you associate all the achievements that he's been able uh, to accomplish in, in climbing, but then you can have a conversation with him about carbon pricing, or you can have a conversation with him about protecting the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And he is well-versed and articulate on those issues as well. So, you know, I think that this, it's also helped change this view of athletes as, you know, one-dimensional characters where mm. they they are climbers and they should climb, where they are skiers and they should ski, reporters and they should rep. Like, it to really providing a platform in the in the uh, and an image that really reflects how fully three-dimensional characters they are and how complex their views are and how savvy they are on these issues and they have as much of a voice in the conversation as the next person does yeah so and i i agree with you it's it's funny every time i talk to somebody who is a pal ambassador i'm i'm blown away by how much they know and how much they can actually speak to it on a on an intellectual level and, and on a very real level so my next question i guess is how how does that information translate down to the end like the reg the person that's watching this interview the person that's watching their favorite influencer talk about it, their favorite athlete talking about how, how how do they gain the knowledge to kind of know what they're supporting more than just a sticker on their truck more than just you know buying a hat or supporting by a donation how how do they actually become more invested in what you you guys do on on a palpable level i guess yeah well we'd love for people to join pal so we have a membership program it's available on our website and you can join pal and through our membership program you get our newsletters you get inside information or you know uh, forward information on some of our campaigns and more ways that you can get involved a lot of times it, it is a matter of it's time to pick up the phone and call your legislator. It's time to show up at a public utility hearing in, in your county. It's time, and most importantly this year, obviously we've got our Stoke the Vote campaign and you can either find it on our website or stokethevote.org, um, stokethevote.org or .com. And this is how do you not only make sure that you're registered and informed when you get out to the polls this November, but also how do you get others involved and how do you share, why should you vote? Because there's a, I think that there's a deep sense of disillusionment with the with the democratic process in, you know, across the country and in our community. And so it's really, I think, important to understand how the way that we fix it is not by giving up on it. The way that we fix it is by actually participating on it. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's always a very, a very demoralizing thing for people is I think they put so much energy and time and thought and like, and mental investment into these things. And then year after year, it just changed. It's, it's funny. I talked to Caroline Gleick yesterday and what oh. she was saying is like, it's such a slow process for some of these things that sometimes it's very frustrating, but at the end of the day, that's how it gets done, right? It's like it, going to DC, like doing all this stuff, lobbying, it doesn't change in a day. It doesn't change overnight. And for a lot of these things, it, it takes years, right? Yeah. In, you know, sometimes you have one of those damn breaking moments, right? Like think about it, like you, you know, when a dam breaks, you don't necessarily see the pressure that's being exerted against it mm. in the years leading up to it just breaking and then the whole thing just goes. 
And I think we may be at one of those moments. I mean, we just passed like this past Sunday, we just passed a $369 billion bill uh, that is going to foment the clean energy growth, electric vehicle infrastructure, research and development and storage, $60 billion for environmental justice. Like it's a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's something that three years ago seemed impossible. Like, there was there was no way that we thought we were gonna get any sort of you know, comprehensive climate legislation like passed and now and now it's it's happening so um I, I i do i i have to have deep faith in the democratic process to solve some of our greatest problems and i think that when we see legislation like that passed despite the fact that it was you know it, it was divided along party lines unfortunately um but we see that it it can still work when we get involved because it would not have happened without public pressure. Like the you know the votes from cinema and mansion, those we would not have gotten them across the finish line if it hadn't been for the absolute uh, outrage that was coming from all of us who care about the places that we that we love um in in advance of in advance of the vote and the infrastructure bill that passed earlier actually passed out you know was bipartisan so i think we're starting to see significant progress the enemy here is not the the enemy here is not you know quote unquote the other side or you know solutions the enemy that we have is time we just need to do a lot of this and we need to do it a lot faster Mm. so yes on i agree the bill passing is a is a huge win and i think it's it's very righteously being promoted as like, okay, this is a huge first step forward. I guess I have some questions because I've, I've read a lot online and I've seen some climate activists talk about like, it's not enough, right? Like is where, and and I don't think it's ever enough for everybody. Right. But I think it was $2.2 trillion is what, what, what the initial bill had called for. And then I think some sacrifices had to be made with mansion in order to, get this bill actually passed in in the form of like oil drilling and stuff like that that happened um i don't have the article up in front of me but like some concessions had to be made right to get this happen are you still happy with the progress that's been made so far and is it something that should be celebrated or is it something that should be like okay this is good work but we kind of have to do more uh both both and so i think it should be absolutely celebrated and it's not done this work won't be done in our lifetime right so no matter what we do there's still going to be more work to be done um a couple of a couple of thoughts to address some of the some of the criticism of the bill that i i think is valid and and some of that that that, uh that feedback so um to i I don't want to butcher the quote but maybe to to (laughs) to paraphrase frederick Douglass in you know 1864 uh, he said something along the lines of, we have to be radical in our ideology and principles and pragmatic in our politics. Mm. Right. And so that's what we, that's what we need. It's, we can't let the, the ideal be the enemy of the good. And so one of the things, uh, w- one of the challenges that we had with the original Build Back Better plan is that there was a lot in there and there were a lot of things that it was a wish list right it was a wish list right. across multiple areas and there was a lot of 
different areas of spending and not necessarily all of it was climate related, which is fine, but it was the climate or clean energy components of the Build Back Better bill were probably about 700 billion, 750 billion out of the 2.1 trillion. And so it was a matter of, okay, if we're not going to get everything, what are the top, top priorities that we just absolutely need to get done in order to make significant progress on this moving forward? And the two things that we were absolutely convinced about was one, we need, we need grid improvements. We need improvements to the grid in order to be able to take more renewable energy and get more in, in, renewable energy into the grid period. Uh, we need electric vehicles because that's the second, that's actually the in the US, that's the largest source of emissions is transportation. So if we can electrify the fleet, that's about 32% of our emissions, but we need those to be powered with renewable energy. And then we need research into storage uh, technologies to address the issue of intermittency, what happens when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining. Uh, and so it's like that trifecta of technologies that we need to de deploy and we need the financial incentives to be there to move these forward. And the reality is we got all of those between the infrastructure bill, between the, uh, and, and now um, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and it's, the incentives there, we're getting significant investments into all three of those areas. Then the oil concessions are troublesome. The oil, the, the oil leases are troublesome, particularly because people think like it's a, you know, it's a one-to-one, -one, like, oh, we got this for clean energy and they know we're getting this for oil and it'll offset. What I think we're not realizing is the oil companies, BP, Shell, Chevron, ExxonMobil, they don't really give a crap how we generate our electricity. Right. Like, so a lot of the incentives that are for clean energy are for clean electricity generation, which will ideally get coal off, get us off of coal, which is terrible. Right. Um, but it doesn't necessarily address the gasoline, diesel, like the transportation emission sectors. And that's where we need electric vehicles to really ramp up. And these investments, they are, you know, the fact that they're, the leasing, that it's open for leasing doesn't mean that it will actually go through to drilling and production. So we've got a next, we've got a next phase of the, a second battle line, so to speak, right? And a lot of this has to do with how quickly can we show that the market's gonna move towards electric vehicles and how quickly can we show that we're moving off of fossil fuels to make that, 40 or 50 year investment horizon that a Chevron or a Shell or an Exxon must make in developing those oil fields, not worthwhile for them, not worth it for them. Mm. How, how rapidly does something like that happen? How, how do you prove that something like that is happening in a way that's going to make sense to slow those, to slow those venues down? I, I guess, obviously over the last few years, we've seen a lot more companies make electric vehicles and put big pushes behind electric vehicles and even nicer ones, right? Like some of these companies are making like super premium electric vehicles for people who would normally buy a sports car. Now you can buy this, you know, this premium version of an, of an electric vehicle. What, what does that look like in terms of timing? Right? Because I think the big thing that we all focus on is like, how quickly can this happen? Right? How quickly can we flip that switch? And for something that's been for an industry that's been so gas based, and diesel based for so long it, it's going to take a long time to switch all that stuff over to a point where it makes a significant difference right like i mean yeah 
that's I guess my my biggest concern with that is like, what does that time frame look like? Yeah, I mean that's a really good question, and I I wish I had a straightforward answer, and I don't. It's either above my pay grade or level of expertise, or it's so complicated that I don't think there's going to be a straightforward answer from uh, can be given. But a couple of thoughts here. It's remember like the Alaska. Uh, the oil leases in Anwar, right? And the Trump administration went back with those, uh, went back to the sales. So people listening who don't know, uh, there's been a big debate about drilling in the Arctic and the Trump administration went ahead and uh, offered up oil leases. They predicted, they had projected that they would generate about $130 billion. And it ended up being, and that they would have multiple bidders. And there ended up being two bidders. One of them was the state of Alaska. And the sales, I think, were like, I don't remember the exact number, it was like four to eight billion. So orders of magnitude less than was projected because the financier Citigroup and a lot of the big finance companies that have to get behind this thought that there was too much risk. They thought that there was risk with a new administration coming in. They thought that there was risk with the volatility of the oil prices, with the oil price, and they thought that there was too much risk with public of public pressure. So those oil fields, those leases didn't actually weren't actually profitable. It was kind of a failure, right? And that happened relatively quickly. Like that, that happened like from the time that there was all this hype about how, you know, what a great you know, b- development this was going to be for the oil industry to the time that it was a complete flop. That was like two years. Um, and then, and then we had, you had COVID and the collapse of the price of oil happened. And then now you've got these leases in, you know, it's probably, you know, if you, we're talking time span like five, ten years for development to have like leases to happen, investment to get secured, exploration secured. And you just don't know what's gonna happen in those five years. And I guess that's kind of what I'm getting, what I'm getting mm-hmm. at. What we need it's a it's a again, not, not to be cliche, but it's a principle of disruption. Mm-hmm. Like and you know what uh I think it's um Navarro kind of calls them black swan events. Uh, and it's like the things that you can't expect that completely disrupt industries. And I think that if we continue to push in the direction that we want to move, we have to trust that we will be disruptive enough at moments that we don't can't even predict right now to make those shifts happen a lot quicker than they would under normal circumstances. And right now we're going through a period where there is absolute global disruption happening because of the unforeseen events, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's a potential recession, whether it's Russia's invasion of Ukraine, whether it's, so we have all of these variables that are coming together. And I think what we need to do is stay the course towards the future that we want and the solutions that we know are right. And then look for those opportunities for disruption along, like, along the way. And this all needs to happen in like the next 10 years. But what we've seen is the adoption of technology can happen really quickly. Like, I think it was in the, in the 1980s, uh, AT&T commissioned a study to find out like, what the market for cell phones was. And you know, I think it was McKinsey or one of these consulting companies came back and told, oh yeah, it's a, it, it could be a great business by like, you know, by like the 2000s, there could be as many as like 100 million cell phones in the market, right? Well, now there's billions, right? Like right. they were off. They were like way off. Yeah. Um, 
And it's because it, the cost of the technology dropped sharply and adoption rose sharply. And so that's what we need to see happen with all of these technologies. And we see it happening already with like solar and we see it happening with wind. We hope, to, I think we're going to see it with storage as well. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I actually like that answer I, because I think it's, it's something that's unpredictable, but it is actually a potential solution to things like people just actually like this technology picks up quick enough and it just hits. Right. And I think that that's, right. that's the best hope for a rapid solution, I think. Right. Like that's the, it's almost a hope and pray solution, but it's there's still the work being done along the way to the, make sure that that hope and pray solution is the most effective that it possibly can. But so I, what I kind of struggle with, I guess, is the, do we have time for that? I guess, is that like, is there enough time for stuff like this to actually mm -hmm settle in right and i know that yeah. you just talked about like yes it can happen rapidly but i think we're talking about something bigger here where the government's not necessarily subsidizing you know electric vehicle purchases like the same way they are for solar like for example like getting solar panels yeah. on your house is actually a pretty easy thing right now like it's it makes it actually makes economic sense for most people versus going and buying a new car or, or buying a used electric car yeah. it's just it's it's not people look at it in two vastly different ways, right? Yeah. I think people look at improvements on their house as an investment long-term, right? And they can see the value in solar versus I think they look at buying an electric vehicle or they look like they look at a vehicle in general as a depreciating asset. So yeah. it's, that's that smart. part's a huge hurdle, I think, right? Yeah, that's super smart and really like really keen analysis. And I don't, and I don't disagree. I think that what we, what we are going to see as well is you know, electric vehicle demand is through the roof. Like mm. Ford, you know, Ford, Ford had, I think they had, they were going to manufacture 150,000 of their F-150s, uh, the electric F-150s. And then they capped it, like they increased the cap to like 250 because demand was so large. And then the last I heard, you couldn't even, you know, get them queue for one because there's not, they, they can't keep up, production can't keep up with demand. Mm -hmm. um and so we're seeing like this there's massive demand for them particularly when you're looking at you know gas prices of over five dollars a gallon yeah, with true. no relief yeah. in, with no real relief in sight um you know in diesel and uh, diesel prices being over five you know over five dollars like it's you know it's significant so and there's some there's some investment in in this bill there's you know there's some tax incentives there's some uh, tax credits for electric vehicle uh, purchase I, you know i don't think it'll be the decisive factor in the market but i but i definitely think it'll help particularly for the first time we're going to see tax credits for used vehicles so if you buy a used vehicle you actually get a tax credit which wasn't the case before um but so ultimately, I, I think that's the way it's moving. Like the industry is moving in that direction. The question is exactly what you brought up. Is it moving fast enough? And the analogy that I might use, it might not be uh, the, the best analogy, but it's we're on path to three degrees of warming. What we experienced, what we experienced last month, I don't know uh, where you're at, but we had abnormally high temperatures even here in Maine this weekend i mean it was brutal it's brutal i was actually in maine like a few days ago and it was horrible oh, it was horrible right yeah okay oh yeah it, it's been and it's been and that was across the country this isn't and this isn't texas right? right so it's bad it's bad at and we're at 1.8 degrees of warming 
So let's give it, let's get a sense of scale. Like we're everything that we're seeing in these heat waves, 1.8. Business as usual takes us to like three, three and a half degrees. And we've got some, you know, we've probably got another you know, degree, maybe less, already baked into the system. So when we ask, like, you know, are we doing this fast enough? No, we didn't. We didn't do this fast enough. Right. Like, we're already past that. We're already past doing it fast enough to where it'll be like, oh, we're gonna go back to you know, to the way things were. But the analogy that I put, it's like, if you are if you're driving a hundred miles an hour towards a concrete wall, when is it too late to hit the brakes? <laughs> hello, hello there. We're taking a break. Uh, we are going to pay some bills and talk about our sponsors. Uh, Memu is a wonderful sponsor of ours. They have been a sponsor for uh, a little over a year now. We're hitting the anniversary time. Um, safety is paramount especially in the backcountry. If you are listening to this episode, you probably care about the climate, but you are also probably a skier, snowboarder, or backcountry user. If you are, go to memmoot.com, use promo code OUTOFBOUNDS, capital O, capital O, capital B, 25, for 25% off. If you need a new beacon, right, you're signed up for your AVI 1, you need a new beacon for 2022, 2023, or you got one of those sketchy-ass peeps ones. Memmoot didn't tell me to say that, by the way. I said that. Go buy a go buy a Berry Vox. Like it's the best beacon that you can buy. Approved by guides everywhere. Approved by everyone everywhere. Approved by planet Earth. Um, go use a Berry Vox beacon. Get yourself one at twenty five percent off. It is as cheap as you will be able to get one all year long. Uh, so go do that, please. And thank you. If you have questions about any of the product or the gear, feel free to shoot me a message, a DM, an email, whatever. I am happy to help. Uh, and I like to consider myself a gear aficionado. So um, test me out. Test me outside. Sierra Nevada is a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast. Uh, they make the best beer on planet Earth. They also make the best non-alcoholic product on planet Earth, which we will talk about in just a second. But first, I will remind you that they have a core offering of products that includes uh, the Pale Ale, which is the original, Torpedo, which is the extra IPA, Dankful IPA, which is generously hoppy, and Tropical Torpedo. This is their Tropical IPA for you summer folk that want something a little more more spicy in your life um they also have the whole little thing series there's hazy wild big sunny all little things um all are wonderful and they have a seasonal collection as well um the biggest thing that i will talk about right now which is my favorite overall is the non-alcoholic it is the hop splash which i'm holding in my hand which is not useful to you because this is an audio only podcast um it is made with citra and amarillo hops um, it kind of smells like beer when you crack it. it. Has that like Sierra Nevada like initial smell to it, but it doesn't taste like beer. It tastes like seltzer, and it's really refreshing. It's really good. It is an excellent non-alcoholic product. It is re- apparently refreshing and hydrating. Um, zero alcohol and zero calories. So if you are on a sobriety kick or you are sober entirely, this is the company to put yourself behind. Um, because this is a really good product. It's not just like some junk that like they just pull the alcohol out of and that's actually really unhealthy for you. So this is this is legit. All right. So Pop Splash, check it out. You can buy it anywhere. Um, just a reminder to enjoy responsibly. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. I believe the non-alcoholic product is a non-issue for that. But um, 21 years or older, see website for details. Is that what you say? 
cool thanks back to the episode right yeah i guess it's a fair it's a fair comparison i mean it's it's not it's not totally out of line for sure it's it's just funny because like we put ourselves in this situation and i think to me it's it's a strange place to be because it's this thing coming that's happening slow enough that it's not tangible for everybody to see coming like a brick wall is like you know the brick wall is coming you can see it like from a mile up half a mile away as far as you can see basically you know to stop this is something that's like slow enough that people aren't all across the board seeing it happen and they're not realizing it's actually happening you hear people say all the time like oh heat waves happen all the time like it's been a mild summer who cares about the spikes whatever whatever but it's happening fast enough that it's going to be a real problem and it already is a real problem far too quickly to actually reverse a lot of the things that could happen too so uh, it's a very it's almost more dangerous in a sense than running up into a brick wall. Right. Yeah, in a lot in a lot of ways there is. Well, and that's why I think that the voices, you know, the voices of our uh, our ambassadors are important because they're seeing so much drastic change for our community, right? Like they're seeing such drastic change happen so rapidly, particularly um, you know, in you know, particularly people in in snow sports, right? Like we're seeing it, but now it's you know, summer sports as well, like you're seeing these these massive heat waves and then for indigenous black you know marginalized communities that don't have some of the respite that other communities have like it's like they're already at the brick wall right right um and so i think it's important maybe maybe you know, to extend the analogy it's like the people that aren't seeing it is because maybe they're sitting like two seats back in a in a three mm. in a three-year and looking out the back window or looking out the side window and not looking out front right uh and so the, i think our role is to let tell those people hey like look out front because you're in the car with us whether whether you see the brick wall or not you are definitely in the vehicle with us and you're gonna crash and more and more i think people are noticing it like even amongst um like even amongst conservatives, like the level of concern around climate is definitely is definitely going up because you, if you're if you're a farmer, you're noticing droughts. If you're, it, it's hard to be in anywhere and not start start to notice that things are different. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think that that's I think that's a great thing. I think it's a huge step forward that it's becoming less of a partisan issue because I think during the Trump administration it became such a like here's a left and a right issue right climate change is a is a truly left and right issue and it's not like it's an everyone issue this should be the one thing where everybody kind of comes together and it's like okay this is this is all of us whether it's you 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 like everybody's involved in this right and this affects every single person and everyone that's that's around and and even more than human beings too so i I think it's it's important to kind of acknowledge that that is coming a little bit closer. And I think that's one of the biggest wins of this bill passing is like it's proof that like, OK, we're getting there again slowly, but it's it's happening. So I think that that part is I think that that part is great. So go ahead. Yeah. And you know, I think we need to remember that the partisan divide is amplified and leveraged by politicians and it's not as real with constituents and with people like right. i mean i've got several you know i've got lots of conservative friends who agree on on climate but they've been divided over other issues right, right. and they draw the line at guns or they draw the line at this or or whatever but agree on climate and you know one of the 
one of the consequences and fallouts of a two-party system is you just immediately get like whatever your priority issue is, you get labeled and put over in this bucket versus that bucket. And the assumption mm. is like, well, if you're against this, then you're also against like these five other things. Whereas no, I don't think any of us are so you know bi-dimensional. I think we all have nuances in our perspectives on For sure. multiple issues. And when we look at where we actually what we agree on. Um, I think climate is our common ground, like particularly for the outdoors community. I mean, I, I'm assuming and I hope that you've got a, a, a spectrum of listeners, right? Like, yeah. Because a survey that we did, we, you know, the outdoor, you know, like the outdoor sports community, it's about 30 percent, uh, 35 percent Democrat or liberal, about 30 percent conservative and the rest are independent. Right. So it's more or less somewhat evenly somewhat evenly split we have sometimes this assumption that oh we're all like these you know either gun-toting you know like conservatives or snowflake liberals and it's really we're we're mixed and in in the middle but we all care deeply about the places that we were creating and we care about the livelihoods that they sustain and we care about the industry that generates the jobs and those things depend on you know getting getting a grip on this. So, you know, to me, it's really sad when you know, unfortunately, like the like this bill had to be passed through a reconciliation process because we knew that there weren't going to be any Republicans voting for the bill. Mm. Um, and this you know went down, whereas infrastructure was bipartisan, and, and that was and that was great to see. And so I think that what needs to happen is we need to push our elected officials on the things that we agree on and let them know that this is a priority because it's easy i think sometimes for you know far cons like conservative lawmakers more so than it is for um uh liberal or, or you know, democrat lawmakers to blow off clean energy and to blow off uh climate concerns because they can play on these other things whereas if i if as a community you know and conservatives and i think you know benji backer over the americans for conservation coalition is doing a really good job with this and we partner with them if we as a community come together and say hey you know we care about this as much as we care about x y or z issues as well uh, then politicians follow they don't actually lead like elected officials they follow mm. yeah yeah i it's funny because i before I was doing this interview, I was thinking about, okay, like one of the things I sometimes have a problem with, with POW is how personal the message is, is like how like, okay, we want to ski more, protect our winners because it's, it's personal to me, right? It's skiing. I want to go skiing. So I'm going to take an approach. It's not necessarily environmentally focused, but on that same note, now that I'm like kind of talking to you a little bit about it, I, I very much realize that that's actually the best way to get people that aren't necessarily super leaning like into the whole climate advocacy thing. That's how you get them to actually be like, I'm, I'm here for this, regardless of how I feel about any of the other parts of policy. Like I am here because I love skiing. I love snowboarding. And I want that conti to continue for the next generations. Right. That's, uh, that's actually probably my harshest critique of, of POW. So I'm glad you can kind of put that to bed a little bit. It's, you it's, just you just gave away the secret sauce it's that's funny like i i never even really thought about it and it's but it makes so much sense it because it's it, it is personal and it's it's funny because i was talking to a friend who i was like okay like i'm gonna do this interview like what do you think and they're a very they're a critic they're actually a 
a great environmentalist, but a critic of what a lot of the things that Pow does. And I was having this conversation about like, okay, like, is it being personal a bad thing or is it being pers is being personal to people a good thing? Um, and I guess the answer is it's, it's a good thing because it actually makes change because if you can't get somebody in to feel that change in their backyard, so to speak, then how are you going to get them to act on it, right? Everybody has so many things going on in their lives personally. How can you make it important for the individual so that it makes sense for the collective? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's when Jeremy and I first started talking before I came on board with Pal. the core principle that we aligned on was Pal's approach being one that makes the door to entry into a climate advocacy as wide as possible and much wider than a lot of traditional environmental organizations because we connect with people on their passion and it's how do you turn how do you turn your passion into purposeful action mm. and so if you're passionate about mountain biking if you're passionate about climbing if you're passionate like that that we get when we're practicing these sports that carries over into other parts of our life that is such a strong part of our identity how do we turn that into you know into a force for change um and that is that is very personal and we you know there's a lot you know, as we have grown and as we've become more focused in our work there's, you know, we've gotten more criticism and there's a, mm. and there's a lot of very valid criticism of POW out there. Like, you know, people said, oh, you know, you're elitist. Like, look at your ambassadors. They're all like top athletes and it's not inclusive enough, et cetera. And there is value to that criticism. Like that is a valid, that is a valid perspective. Um, you know, there's, you know, um, but it's not intentional and it's not like we are, we're not trying to be exclusive. It's, it happens that people that are most influential sometimes are elite elite athletes. Right. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can learn. There's a lot of things that we can do better. What we and we can't. We can never commit to doing all things for all people. Like, um, you know, it's we, that's never going to happen. But what we do commit to is we will always listen, and it, we may not be able to act or we may not agree uh with the criticism but it's never uh oh we're right you're wrong uh it's never a oh that you know that's not about that opinion it's it's always a this is what we do this is what we know how to do best and this is how we think it can do better and there's probably things that we don't do well there's probably things that we're not the best people to do or the best group to do and if we can help you do those things better, let us know how, and we can, and, and let's work and let's work together. Yeah. I, so, oh, I actually feel like this is good for a lot of people to hear because I think people look at POW and they're like, like I said earlier, like they look at this big organization, so to speak, from their lens and so many people involved with it. And everybody has some criticism to throw some direction. But I think that answer very much welcomes some of the criticism that's valid, right? And and kind of puts you guys in a position to be like, okay, like we're open to criticism. Like we're not perfect. And being a perfect activist is not it's not a thing. Like it, it's again, like I talked to Caroline about this yesterday and she was like that what does that even look like? What does that even mean? How do you how do you be perfect at anything? There there's no way to do right. that. So it's just I like I like that response. I like the way that you kind of phrase it. And I think that that'll give people that are kind of like, okay, on the fence about it, 
they'll give them some comfort, I guess, so to speak, because sometimes I think people just want to complain about shit. And that's also <laughs> a thing that like, yeah. it's, it's difficult, right? Because as I was preparing for this, I'm like, okay, how do we have this conversation? Like, I don't want to just be complaining about shit. And because I, we donate a lot to pow spend a lot of time, like, with pal athletes and advocates and having these conversations. And it's really important to me. So to me, it's like, I want, I want the standard to be really high, but I also like, I don't like when people just throw shit at a wall to see what happens and see, to see if they can ruffle some feathers. And I, I think that there's, there's value in acknowledging that there is room for growth always. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And you know, this, the other thing that I, I remind, you know, at least our team and our, and our athletes is unfortunately, like there are no perfect solutions left. Like even the really, really, really good solutions are like 20 years in the rear. Right. And so we were having this conversation about electric vehicles, right? And, you know, the issue came up about the sourcing of the minerals that are going to be necessary for, if, uh, for the manufacturing of all of these batteries and where do these minerals come from and issues of environmental justice around those minerals. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, that's an incredibly valid point. Like I spent you know, a lot of time uh, in the Amazon working with indigenous communities there. And the, 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 the challenge is like, it's not, hey, it's either electric vehicles or this other better solution that we know, and we should be going towards that. Right now, the dichotomy is, it's either electric vehicles or internal combustion engines. <laughs> right. Like that's, that, those are the options. Like neither one of them is great. Neither one of them is a, is a great option. Right. But internal combustion engine runs in oil. Like, a little, like, just a, a brief history of oil will tell you like, it hasn't been the most equitable or justice oriented industry in the last 100, yeah. 120 years. Uh, we're still looking, like, if we continue, the places that we're gonna find oil, continue to find oil are going to be more extreme. So we're looking at um, tribal lands in Canada for tar sand oil. We're looking at Quechua lands in the Amazon, uh, Quechua or uh, Waifu lands in the Amazon where cancer rates are already through the roof because of oil spills in the, in the Amazon. We're looking at, you know, the Greenwich in Alaska for, to continue with an industry that is reached its peak. And here's the, the key point where I don't see any improvement possible because the thermodynamics, the physics of the internal combustion engine, we've kind of capped it. Like we're not going to get better internal combustion engines or much better internal combustion engines, right? Like they it's just physically not possible to get more efficiency than like 30, 35%. So 40 miles per gallon, like whatever that, that upper limit is, that's, that's it. And that's after 150 years of that technology. Electric vehicles, like we're at the beginning stages of that technology. So it sucks. It absolutely sucks that it's gonna be <laughs> that it's gonna be uh, that it's gonna require like some of these like like some extractive industry. And we need to put pressure and we need to not repeat the mistakes of the past with past technologies and figure out how to do it better moving forward. But it, we can also be hopeful that that technology will only get better. The recycling of batteries, uh, more efficient use of, uh, of the minerals, et cetera, et cetera. Like we've got so much more room for improvement with new technologies than we do if we end up you know, blocking the new technologies because they're not good enough, which only weds us to the old technology. It's mm -hmm. like, I think it was, 
the the former and the energy minister for Iran in 1970. I forget his name, so I don't want to mispronounce it. But it's this quote is attributed to him, and I and I really like it. Like, the the Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of rocks. Uh, it, it it ended because we developed better technologies, right? right. So the, this fossil fuel age isn't gonna end a because we run out of fossil fuels because there's plenty of fossil fuels left in the ground to bake the planet many times over. But it's yeah, ending right. because we have better technologies. Let's give those technologies a chance. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that quote too. It's uh, <laughs> it's a good one. And so, okay, uh, I I actually really like pretty much all of your answers to any of the criticisms in the bill and all all this stuff. I so the last thing I kind of want to ask you about, and then I want to talk about stoke the vote real quick, and then I'll let you get out of here. But, um, what? if you were to leave people with something that they can do to make the biggest impact on their immediate community, I mean, we talk about electric vehicles, we talk about solar, we talk about all these things. We still are very much encompassed in an industry where most people are driving multiple hours to go skiing. They're going multiple hours to go snowboarding. Their travel is one of the biggest impacts that we're having as uh, as an individual on mm -hmm. the environment, right? How, what can people do to improve the way that they travel to the mountain and improve just themselves as as climate activists as a whole because i don't think people people don't necessarily think of themselves as, as advocates or as activists rather they think of themselves as just people trying to do what they love and they want to help it in any way that they can so in what ways can people help in in i guess the most effective way without like becoming a full-on like hi i'm an outdoor influencer i'm a i'm an advocate for climate this is what i do because most people aren't going to do that right so what yeah. what is the most effective thing that people can do thanks yeah that's a great question and i think solving climate is going to be a silver buckshot not a silver not a silver bullet and so there is the I, I like Jeremy's term. He he uses you know he says he lives an examined lifestyle, uh, and it's you know let's examine our lifestyle because what works for a solution that works for you may not work for somebody else. What works for me may not work for somebody else. So, for example, some people say, oh, you have to go vegetarian because meat's terrible for the planet, and it's like, well, you know that that that's a personal diet decision. It might not work for some, but maybe you can eat less meat. Right. Hey, you want to, if you're driving a vehicle that has, you know, that gives you 20 miles to the gallon, uh, you know how you can make that vehicle give you 80 miles to the gallon? Put three more people in there. So <laughs> like, go through, like, go through the effort of make, making a couple of phone calls and carpooling to carpooling to the mountain. Right. Um, and join like, like you know, that. So there's a lot of personal decisions, like, you know, cut out your shots. There's a lot of personal decisions that we can examine our life and say, hey, I can make improvements here, 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 and here, but I can't change this because I live 30 miles from my work or, and I have to go to work, but some people still do or whatever, but you get what I'm, where I'm going. Like just examining the life and then making the decisions that are appropriate and possible for your own life. That is going to help us on the on the individual side, and we need all of that. But ultimately, what we really need is we need large scale systemic shift because what we're talking about is the difference between you know reducing your own carbon footprint by you know four to five tons per year, which is about what you can do simply because you live in the United States and our electricity is generated mostly from fossil fuels, and 
200 million tons per year that's coming from the from major polluting industries. So at that point, it's what can you do that's really impactful? It's hey, get become part of the civic process. So there's not major renewable energy projects that are going up in rural America have to have local approval. So it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if you're a you know, one gigawatt project or if you're a five gigawatt project. If you're going, if you're trying to develop in rural America, so you know across the West, a lot of part, parts of the West, your the county commit a lot of times it's your county commissioners, your public utility. They have to, they make those decisions at the local and state levels. So you can have huge influence at a very local level if you become involved and find out what's happening locally in your community around renewable energy permitting or transmission permitting, for example. Mm. Um, so that's one way. Then the other way is being really vocal. So what we like to say it's like show up, speak out, and vote. So show up at local community hearings. Show up at, you know, find out who your public utility commission is. Find out what permitting is going. Like what's going on in your own community around this around the energy transition? Uh, speak out. It's be vocal. Write the write in your local paper. Write op-eds. Be the you know, go on go on radio. Whatever you know, your social media platforms. Whatever those things are. Get informed so you get informed and educated around it. And then third is vote. Like, and get out. Make sure that you're ready to vote and make sure that uh, you're getting your friends to vote. And we've got midterm elections coming up and it's going to be really important to sustain the gains that we've had on policy. And that doesn't mean like there's a, you know, there are, there are several Republicans that we're working really closely with in the house. Uh, unfortunately, there weren't any in the Senate that were willing to support the bill, but in the house, there's people you know, in Utah that are really you know, like John Curtis, Representative John Curtis, who is really concerned about what, what are the conservative solutions options that are being put forth for climate. Like find out who your representatives are, what they stand for, how they have voted, and then vote and let them know how you want them to vote. Like I think that that is the most important thing that anyone can do is becoming involved in our democracy and becoming involved in our civic in our civic process, because the way the founding fathers built this and for all of their flaws, and I'm not defending you know, any of the issues that we all know are were embedded into the Constitution from the beginning, but the you know, in the principles, the principles of government that were embedded, they have withheld, withstood a lot of pressure. Particularly, we saw it in in the attempt in the attempted coup on January sixth. Like the institutions still held because they were pretty well designed. But what they what they won't withstand, what what will what will cause American the American experiment and the American democracy to fail, is lack of participation because it's not designed to withstand apathy. Hmm. That's a really good point. That's uh, Yeah, and I guess that's something that people don't necessarily think about. And I think you saw more, more and more people actually care last presidential election cycle about going out and voting, right? Even if they weren't particularly attached to one candidate or the other, they went and they voted for what they, the issues that they felt like were more important and that what, what would change, right? And I, I would probably argue, like, I don't think there was a very strong democratic candidate at that point and it's it was really important to people like myself for example to just go show up and vote and do the work that kind of needed to be done on that front at the smallest level right because otherwise there was going to be even further 
diminishing of the work that's been done so far in terms of climate change, right? Like it's, I think it's oh, really yeah. important in midterms too. It's been, right? it's been a while since we've been able to be excited going to the polls. I think it's more like we hold like, <laughs> all right, I'm holding yeah. my nose and there goes my, <laughs> there goes my book. Yeah. Right. It's lesser of two evils in some senses. Yeah. yeah. But we see, but I mean, it's a huge difference. What in terms of environment and climate, it, you know, the, the difference between the last administration and this administration sure. is night and day. And I look forward, like I look forward to the day when the choices between the solutions that are being put forward by a GOP candidate and the solutions that are being put forward by a Democratic candidate. And there's a lot of, so there's so many solid conservative arguments that could be applied towards solutions from, uh, I mean, the idea, the, you know, the EPA was, it was a Republican. Uh, right. It was, it was Nixon that founded EPA. Uh, George Bush senior was, you know, was looking at markets. There are a lot of conservative solutions to the energy, to the energy crisis that don't have a seat at the table right now that I think should have a seat at the table. Um, but it's been the far extremes of the both parties that have said, hey, we have to have everything from social care to you know, the Green New Deal or nothing. And then on the other extreme, it's like, well, climate change isn't really even a problem in China. You know, China's to blame. And it's, you know, I think it was Herschel, uh, one of the candidates that's running now, it said, um, in the primaries now, it's like, you know, China's bad air then gets substituted with our good air. So we end up with China's bad air and that's not fair. Like, like oh my God, or Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about like, I don't even know what. Yeah, I have her stuff. muted on everything. I don't even hear or see anything. Like she's one of my muted words on Twitter. Like it's, yeah, uh, right. it's, it's phenomenal. I would recommend a lot of people to go and do this. I mean, it, it, yeah, exactly. So but in there is a, there is a reasonable center there is in right. it's not to say hey like hey let's be wishy-washy it's like no there is a reasonable path forward that combines the best principles of both ideologies to make this move forward from market-based solutions to job generation to made in america manufacturing of clean energy technologies to the elimination of monopolies, taking away like certain subsidies and promoting American innovation, American energy, in order to put America back on the leadership path and secure our energy future. So that's that's where I stand. I think that the, if we care about like the land and the places that we love to mountain bike, ski, trail run, snowboard, climb, and we care about American innovation and energy security, there's a path forward here for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's the truth. I think in a lot of, in most situations, you find that the best solutions are somewhere in between, right? Like all the extremists left or right or whatever side, whatever we're calling the two sides of anything, the middle is usually where most of that truth lies and the kind of the best solution in a lot of cases. And I, and I think this is, no different and I, I think that's why it shouldn't be a partisan issue right like and it, it shouldn't be and it's like you said earlier it's not for a lot of people like again same here i have a lot of republican friends and conservative friends that very much are on the side of climate advocacy but they just end up voting because of two or three other issues that end up being on the side that they vote on so um the thing we should probably end on is midterm elections stoke the vote what what is stoke the vote 
why should people vote in midterm elections? Because I don't know that everybody actually understands why they should vote in midterms. I think everybody kind of shows up when it's time to vote a new president. And that's when you hear everybody talk about it. And it's in the news and the big promotions happen, but a lot of serious changes happen at the midterm. So what, what stoked the vote and why should people get out and vote um, in the midterms? Yeah. Uh, so Stoke the Vote is our flagship campaign for the remainder of this year, and it's all of the reasons why you should vote. And we're going to be pushing out a bunch of content, different types of content that would be entertaining, funny, serious, uh, educational, uh, all centered around this idea that a core part of our identity as the outdoor state, and by the outdoor state, we mean you know, the 50 plus million of us who, for whom outdoor recreation is a core component of our lifestyles, voting should be a part of that identity and voting should be a part of our values. Um, and we'll have, you know, all, all kinds, like I said, all kinds of content educating us on why, and then also informational materials on how to make sure that you're registered, how to make sure that you are, uh, that you know how you can do absentee ballots or how you can do mail, where you can do mail-in voting as well as our sister organization, POW AF, uh, Protect Our Winters Action Fund, will be publishing a voter guidebook um, for Utah, Montana, uh, Colorado, Arizona, and Nevada, which are our kind of our priority states in the West for this uh, for the season with, uh, um, with candidates' records or, or where they are on record with things that we care about in terms of clean energy and an energy transition. So it's a it's basically a campaign that's all encompassing. Basically, how do you vote? How do you make sure that you're prepared to vote? What are some materials that keep you engaged? What are some materials that you can share to convince others that it's worth that it's worth voting, uh, or that you, they should vote? And midterms matter. Uh, that's kind of like the hashtag that we're using. Midterms matter. The house basically will be decided this in this election season, and so you can't get legislation passed without. Uh, without getting a majority in, majority in the House, or you can't originate legislation without getting a um, majority in the House. And there are several congressional seats that are going to be up for grabs as well. And again, this is not a partisan issue. It's a matter of who do we, do we want to support uh, senators that are up for election or re-election who have voted for or against on climate. And I think it's important for the outdoor state to show up and actually support those that have voted for or who would for clean energy, regardless of regardless of party like party affiliation, and that really matters because it will determine how much power there is to move the current climate policies forward. And if we're happy with the investments that are being made in clean energy, uh, energy security, electric vehicles, grid upgrade infrastructure, and the direction that that puts America in the way that we consume, that we generate, distribute and consume energy in a more sustainable path in the 21st century, then we need to give that support and we need to let, uh, let the administration know and let our Congress know that, that we want more of that. Um, and that's and that gets determined at the midterms far more than it will at the presidential because at the presidential it really becomes about the candidates about the one candidate right like whoever is you know yeah. going to be president or not whereas here it's about multiple multiple candidates yeah for sure um, Mario where where can people find more information about you where can people find more information about POW Stoke the Vote all of this stuff. Um, where, where are those resources, um, and anything else you want to plug at this time? This is, uh, this is your time. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Adam. Well, I think you've done uh, really, I, I really appreciated this. I mean, the, it was a thoughtful conversation. I always appreciate having thoughtful conversations and not just reciting talking points. Um, so I really appreciate your interest in this and I'm assuming your audience's interest in this as well. Uh, protectourwinters.org. Uh, you can find all of our athletes there. You can find all of our corporate partners there. If you want to sport some POW merch, we've got some Stoke the Vote merch that's now, that's online as well and you've got all the resources there you've got our vote our election center uh, if you want to go straight to our election center you can go to stokethevote.org or stokethevote.com and that's uh that's going to plug you right into the nuts and bolts of uh, of voting and you can share that with share that with friends and with your friends in your network uh and then follow us on all the traditional like interwebs platforms we thought we're you know we're 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 on the twitter we're on the linkedin we're on the instagram um and then uh yeah and me personally i'm at m-a-e-d molina um that's my that's my handle or you can always contact me through pow as well if you want to talk more i'm always happy to engage in a discussion or answer questions and so you can if you email us at info at protect our winters we'll we have somebody that actually reads through all of those emails so that's another good way to communicate directly with us um and then follow our athletes and find out what they have to say about it and the athletes that and if you know if you have athletes that you think would be good ambassadors on this topic let us know who they are and we'd love to get them get them involved i love that well thank you mario i really appreciate it yeah, Adam, this has been great. Really, really appreciate and uh, I appreciate your patience with the technical difficulties <laughs> earlier, but this was such a great conversation. Really, really liked it. Really enjoyed it.